Hello and welcome back to episode 8 of the Brew and Bite show. Tonight we have our panel and first up we're going to say hello to our favourite mathematician which is Tina. How are you? Hello. I'm very well, thank you. And secondly tonight we've got everybody's tech expert which is Alistair. Hello. And not forgetting the most important thing that everybody should be doing this week is backing up their computer. I'm going to hand you over to the backup king. How are you today? Uh, good evening. Good evening, Craig. Good evening, all. Uh, yes, I'm very good. Uh, I'm in the process of, uh, I've just bought myself a new two terabyte uh, uh, SSD, and I'll be uh, making sure that uh, the latest backups are up to date. <laughs> Perfect. Thank you. So this week in Apple News, there's been a number of different things, but first up, I'm sure Alistair will like to tell you some more information about a piece of software that we will be waving goodbye to this week. So some of you may have guessed that um, Adobe's Flash is going end of life, and the, the latest update from Adobe's Flash Player now includes a kill switch. So next month, it will automatically uninstall itself and it will no longer be allowed to be installed. So a program which, or a piece of software, which has been very useful in the past initially to run a video, especially when YouTube first started, has now been superseded by HTML5, which is why we no longer use Flash. And to quote Steve Jobs, he said that he disliked Flash because it slowed down the, co the computers and it was inefficient for battery life. And that's why it wasn't going to be installed on the iPhone. So Steve Jobs has got his wish by getting rid of Flash. So we're now going to move to all HTML5, which is better from a security point of view, and it's going to be less likely to be exploited, which is what currently Flash currently gets dealt with at times. So just to let our listeners know, if you come across any websites now which say, please install Flash to see contents on this website, the chances are that that site has got malware on it because Firefox, Internet Explorer, Chrome, and Safari have all said that uh, they are no longer supporting Flash, they are no longer allowing Flash to be installed, so the only people now installing Flash, or fake Flash, is going to be the malware people. So Flash is no longer the saviour of the universe. But was it gone in a flash, is going to be my question. <laughs> oh, oh. Never really understood the Flash issue. I, I've, I've seen it and I've used it and it's worked well. The point is, yes, it is slow. It does slow the 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 systems down uh especially when you're trying to do video work um so all in all i suppose it's a good thing all things do get superseded in the end so i think uh for me personally i said i'm a bit of a mixed bag with it i don't i haven't got bad feelings one way or the other um but if it's we've moved on we move on and i'll make sure it's all uh cleaned out the system am i right in saying that there is also no support going forward after this date too for people that are still using Flash out there somewhere. Yes, uh, Flash stops supports this month. 
So unlike Internet Explorer, where it's still hard coded in for certain websites around the world, so you still have Internet 6 websites, so they still have that around, uh, Flash is no longer being supported. So if you have Flash on any of your websites, you're either incredibly archaic and behind the times, or you don't really care. I mean, the last time I was using Flash was 2007 when I was doing flash animations and it was a big thing then because it was it's the only way you could do animations on a website and I had a little man who who I animated who'd run down the screen and open up a door and it, it was quite fun it was, it was meant to look like someone had got into your system it was a quite sort of amusing little character based on morph and so that was fun then but now it's all been superseded, so I can't see why anyone would need it. Although I did read that some corporations have got it hardwired internal somewhere. And so certain systems are going to go offline. That's all Adobe said. Okay, we also have some exciting news for those of you that have got or considering an M1 chip Mac in regards to running Windows. So the popular pro visualization program Parallels is supposedly doing an invite-only technical review. And I'm sure Tina has some opinions on this one. Um, I think the worry at the moment is they're saying that, that it's only going to be working for armband-based Windows stuff. Um, they're, they're not saying that the Intel will work. So I think, as with all these things, I, I was getting quite excited about the idea of replacing my MacBook with an M1 MacBook Air because my MacBook is struggling sometimes, you know, with video and the demands on it, because there's only a little baby thing in it. It's not coping. But um, I occasionally use some legacy software, um, which is Office 2000, and I'm sorry, but it's, it's handy if you want to draw diagrams um, and use Snap to Grid, because in Word, the current Word, it doesn't Snap to Grid properly. Um, and therefore, you know, I want to be able to run my virtual machines. I use VM Fusion. They're not saying a lot, but they're saying they're doing their best to get it, get it working. But it's what versions they get to work, what virtual machines. So there's lots of forums where people are saying, I've launched this and nothing happened. Um, so if you do use virtualization in any form, be it paid for, not paid for, check carefully before you buy the M1 um, because it may not do what you want it to do. Um, I've also was watching a video today, in fact, with someone who's talking about um, Premiere from Adobe and how long it took <laughs> to export video. Um, and this blogger was talking about the fact that she could do it in Final Cut Pro and export the video in two and a half minutes, three minutes, but it was like an hour, an hour. And so buyer beware, be very aware of what you need to use your machine for and double check that there aren't problems. Yeah. And then, and then consider, is it a deal breaker? You know, I'm no longer a maths teacher, so I may not need Office 2000. So it could be that this is the point when I wave it goodbye um, and then it becomes less of an issue. But it's a fast-moving field, isn't it? Because hopefully, for instance, Adobe will sort that, their act out 
and update their apps so they'll work on the M1 Silicon and hopefully VM Fusion and Parallels will get things working. But double, double check. I would say that the interesting thing that's going to come out from this is we're probably going to see that most of the creative industry are going to still stay on the Intel Macs because they know everything works. They've already got the machines. They already have everything set up. But for the office users who were given previously MacBook Airs to do email, web surfing, Zoom meetings, they might be given the M1s. The other thing which is going to pose an interesting problem is a lot of people use Bootcamp and they also use Linux via VMware or Parallels. So what you may find is people keeping their old MacBooks around to run the VMware stuff or the parallels and the new Macs to run all the high speed stuff because when I've been looking at the tech details for the new M1 chips they've basically taken in all the latest improvements in JavaScript all the the memory management that Intel were doing and they incorporate it into their own silicon and it's it's fascinating I'll see if I can find the notes and put it in the show notes for you but it seems that there's going to be a, a series of slow stages before most things move over to the M1s it's going to be very much like when we move from OS 9 to OS 10 so one other major change that I'm sure some of us out there that are social media users have noticed are some little warning icons or some notification changes that may have popped up one in particular that I use on a daily basis is Instagram being the photographer and you are now almost held back on some of the information that you were provided before especially in terms of sharing and I'm sure Alistair can give some insight into why that is. Uh, So what is happening is Facebook is moving everyone from the UK data protection rules to the US data protection laws so currently as a Facebook or Instagram or WhatsApp user, we currently have signed up to the UK versions, so that's UK and Ireland's uh, data protection rules and legislations, which fall under um, tougher restrictions and have better privacy settings and also have better security settings against federal agencies wanting access to it. By moving to the US version, all the data moves to America. And as such, they can't provide certain services because they can't provide the security or the guarantees as per requirements because the data centers are moving to the US data laws. Um, I think this is all to do with the current Senate hearings which are going through in America, but I'm not entirely sure what the reason behind that was. I think one of the reasons we're losing um, some protections and our data's being moved is, and I hate to use this word, it's to do with Brexit because there's lots of rules to do with data, to do with the EU. And as technically we will no longer be a member, well, we won't be a member of the EU, so therefore those rules don't apply to us. It's all something to do with the level of fines that the EU have been uh, slapping on the the bigger American companies that uh, they can turn around and say, we we don't uh, fall under EU jurisdiction uh, and they therefore can get 
get away with not having to pay these fines. The other thing is they don't want to pay the taxes in the UK, so they're moving their their offices to Ireland, so they're um or they're moving them to America again. Now the the strange thing is, if you look at it, Twitter has not changed their terms and conditions, and they're US based. The other thing is that to remember that Apple have also announced that with iOS 14, they're going to have tougher ad protection rules. The US Senate are against, or they were, against um, Facebook being so dominant in the area. And there have been suggestions in the past that maybe Facebook should break up WhatsApp and Instagram as separate companies. So maybe by moving it all to US, it might stop this at times. But watch this space is all I'm going to say. Perfect. Does that impact some of the news that came out around the e-privacy rules as well? Because at the moment, there's a bit of a discussion. Does this apply to the UK anymore after Brexit, avoiding the subject? I think there are going to be lots of complications because we've got a transition from being in the EU to not being in the EU. And obviously the Americans have got a transition between the Trump presidency and the Biden presidency, despite what you may or may not read in the news a lot. Um, And Trump has been aggressively pushing for penalties for things like Facebook um, because he's not happy with how he's projected in it and no one's quite sure what's going to happen with Biden so everything's in a bit of a flux so I think it is a case of wait and see and lastly should we talk about the the not so big mention of a of a big network hack I don't know how much people have read into this this is quite an interesting one so as as current news puts it is that a hack happened earlier this year in March to a US-based company that monitors networks and also covers some of the Fortune 500 companies. And it has now come to light that some US federal services have also been under attack involved in this. But I wonder if anybody has any thoughts on that particular subject. So you're referring to FireEye's um, attack Okay, so um, for those who aren't aware, FireEye is a security consultant. They provide Red Red Team and other uh, security um, services to get vulnerability assessments of the U.S. military and other uh, federal agencies, as well as top five Fortune 500 companies. They had developed a series of tools or software tools to test or exploit vulnerabilities as part of their red team uh, exploits Uh, they were recently compromised and the theory goes that they may have been used against google although from what i've read it says they said that the google suffered an outage nothing to see here these were not the droids you're looking for, as as Google had put it. They said that they had um, experienced a problem which was due to an internal storage quota issue. So they're writing it in a sort of very difficult to understand terminology. And we'll probably find out in the coming months, maybe after uh, Biden comes into power, what that actually means. But it's some people have been saying that something more was going on, but we won't know at this moment. So let me get this straight. So the, so the bad hackers were using the good hackers to get into the system to take it down because it was not being too flattering to a certain incumbent. Depends on how you read it. Some would say that they were attacking Google because Google 
is the largest American-based media provider. So if you look at it, they provide free Gmail to a number of people. They provide YouTube and another number of other services. And some estimated that it was a bad actor's attack flexing their muscles to show them what they could do but we won't know as yet what that is. So this is why I'm saying we will probably find out in the coming months when the information comes out and when it moves away from the NDAs, we'll find out what will come from it. They've been quite quiet. And to be honest, the news doesn't cover it very well, but it's not just US-based companies that it supposedly attacked or filtered information from. It does actually affect the UK as much as it does everyone else, I believe. Can't comment on that. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a difficult one. But was it last year that the NHS came under quite quite uh, severe attack from the well? That was from, from ransomware, wasn't it? It was a, a different type of attack. The WannaCry attack, yes. At the moment, according to US media, it says that Microsoft has identified victims in Canada, Mexico, Belgium, Spain, the United Kingdom, Israel and the United Arab Emirates as it stands. And that's within the little bit of information that they've given. The other thing is not to get confused with the SolarWinds exploit because the Google one was not using SolarWinds. That came in after Google got attacked. But SolarWinds is a powerful uh, remote desktop program to use for technical support. So if you phone your technical department and say, I'm having a problem with my computer, they would dial into your computer and access it. But will be interesting to see. I think this one, the Solar Winds, is more, um, you know, a, a nation state trying to go against the US agencies, uh, as in federal agencies, that is. Well, I think they've also um, had a go at some of the big companies, but... That particular one sounds like it's massive. Yes. Now, the if you read Brian Krebs, the great security correspondent who worked used to work for uh, the New York Times, he's currently got on his website saying that the uh, NSA have put up a cybersecurity advisory saying Russian state-sponsored acts actors exploit vulnerability in VM workspace. So they're saying that there was more than one uh, exploit used for it. And the FireEye and SolarWinds are both connected. So we'll put that in the show notes for anyone who wants to read it more in depth on it. My, my view is a white hacker company got hacked and someone turned their own tools against them is my view to that, which is quite an interesting one. In regards to bugs, shall we move on to the next problem that some of you may have experienced to do with Mac OS Big Sur's recent update? So I don't know if anybody's tried this yet, but on 11.1 or for those of you that might be sitting on a Mac with Big Sur and can't find 11.1 as an update there is a particular reason so at the moment there is a bug in regards to this update so on some machines it is not showing and the reason may be behind that is one of two areas Mac OS 0.1 for those of you that have downloaded that may not be seeing the newest version which is actually 11.1 and the actual reasoning behind that is to do with how you are connected to Apple's servers. So this week Apple announced that they are no longer pushing out updates separately to OS installations. 
So going forward, you will now have to redown the entire download, which at the moment sits at 12.5 gigabytes. So that may be difficult for some with very slow internet connections. In the whole network administrators world, people are not liking this. And the reason behind that is that how networks are set up in regards to pushing updates is normally they are downloaded to one particular server or machine and then pushed out by the administrator to those devices. Because of this bug or the way that Apple has decided to set this up, it's no longer possible. So they have to have physical access or someone with the technical skills to actually download the entire update. So I'm sure Alistair would like to give his opinion. The biggest problem I can see is that currently most IT experts carry a copy of all the operating systems on the USB drive. So they can install it on the new hard drive. So when you're doing a hard drive replacement, it's very easy to put a copy of the operating system on. But this new approach requires that you have 12 gigabytes of space on that drive of the computer you're currently working on. You have high speed internet and you're not gonna have any breakup in your internet connection. Now, if the average download speed in London is somewhere between 12 and 19, fine, that's not a problem. But when you move out of London to slightly more poorer areas or uh, bandwidth impaired areas, you're lucky to get five megabytes. So it could take a whole day just to get an update. And if you're going for that type period of time, you could stand up with a problem of it having to re-download multiple times because it doesn't download correctly. And this reminds me of how iPhone updates are designed, where each version of the operating system is custom built for that particular iPhone because it takes the serial number from the iPhone and incorporates it into the update. So you can't even copy the update across as a security setting. It's all tied in with the digital enclave. That's going to tee off a lot of system administrators, I'd imagine. And they don't they usually don't want to make hard work for themselves, so they're looking for the an easier way out. So that could be that could be detrimental to the rollout of Apple in a system in a in an organization. I think a lot of people go stay on Catalina because if you think about it, you got the M1 chips which are gonna cause problems because certain programs don't work nicely with it. So that's the entire Adobe suite. Second, you've got let's say 30 machines in an office all requiring 12 gigabytes. You can see your bandwidth disappearing instantly, which means right, so that means you're gonna to have to come in over the weekend to do all the updates because you can't run 30 machines all downloading 12 gig updates simultaneously because you'd end up with no download speed or no upload speed. So it's going to be a real logistical headache if they continue to go at this rate. And do we know why? It seems a strange, strange scenario for Apple to set up. Is there, is there some kind of security issue that they've uncovered in doing uh, up, updates rather than full installs? Not that I've heard of, no. The only thing I can think of is that they're thinking that any um, version on a disk can go out of date. So a few years back, was it 2016, there was Apple had signed the the updates with an out-of-date certificate. So the certificate expired within two years. And so everyone was forced to re-download the updates or the fresh versions of the operating system because it wouldn't install or you ha had to change the date on the Mac you were installing the operating system to, to 2015, and then it would work again because the, it was a time-based certificate, 
Now, maybe Apple is moving to a not a much tougher certificate system. So they may be wanting everything to be within a week of the update or a month of the update. Because they, they are, I suppose they just assume that we've all got really high download speeds these days now and that uh, it isn't a problem to download 12.5 gig uh, of data. But it's going to be a problem if you're going to be doing multiple machines. Yeah, I, I used to look after an office which had eight altogether. So that was a simple job, download it once and then just put it onto the machines from uh, a thumb drive. But uh, that would be having to download each machine, get it to download. As you say, the logistics of that would be uh, difficult, to say the least. Yeah, it would be interesting to find out. It, there's got to be a reason behind it. I, said, you know, I know Apple have their reasons. Sometimes they're very uh, nefarious, but it'd be interesting to find out. So if anyone out there um, has a uh, knowledge of why this is being done or or a theory on why it's being done, it'd be great to hear from you. I think what's going to happen in the schools and the colleges is you'll find that they will only do the updates once a term or even in the summer term because if you've got a university with a thousand Mac computers in it, you're not going to do the update one weekend. You ain't got the time. You'll go do it over the summer where you've got two weeks or four weeks to download it and you've got enough technicians to, to initiate the uh, the updates. Because these won't be allowed to be run independently. They will all have to be checked and you'll come across one or two machines which won't see the updates. So then you'll have to boot them into safe mode. Then you'll come across those who will be in bandwidth impaired areas. So you, you if you've got 10 machines downloading, you, you may find that you, you have to restrict it. Uh, or you come across bandwidth problems you'll suddenly get something from Janet warning you that you've been downloading far too much updates and you have to stop or you you set everything up at 3 in the morning just to get round the problem of um, everyone else being on the internet at the same time shall we move on to here's a good quiz question who's going to know the answer to this how many Apple products were released in 2020 can I go for loads I have a feeling it's also been the busiest. 19. 19 products in total. I don't know any other year that they've done so many in one go. Um, it's not something I could put my finger on. I haven't done that sort of question each year going back. But it does, one of the, I think one of the issues with COVID, which has brought about, is the lack of all the trade shows all disappeared. Uh, so we saw the first, this, first time this year the virtual trade shows where people were doing their product launches uh, in big, flashy, ritzy uh, uh, video format. Um, and I think they've cottoned on that that's a very productive way of doing it. Instead of having all your engineers sitting in an audience somewhere talking to them, you can actually do a video and send it all out. So I'd imagine that the the cost of putting on a show, WWDC, for example, for Apple, must cost a fair bit for them to do. Uh and there's also the lost downtime for people uh, obviously having to be there and work and, and stuff like that. So the idea of, of doing a flashy uh, presentation on, on a video, I think has become quite appealing. And because of that, they thought, well, hang on, we could do one of these a month. We could launch a new product a month with the nice glitzy video. Uh, and I think that's, that could have contributed to why we've seen one so many product launches this year as each one has always become its own little uh, little sideshow and little uh, presentation show. So COVID, I think, may have affected how companies view that. If you look at the 
some of the other big tech giants as well they've all gone down that route now haven't they that they're doing glitzy uh, product launches uh, on on uh, on the internet in regards to a big year of apple releases let's go through the panel who would like to go first in regards to choosing their favorite product of the year that could be if you've used it or bought it this year or one that you particularly like and the reason why and you've now got 19 to choose from <laughs> no, it's interesting because i'm really really interested in the m1 chip and i may or may not buy a product that's been launched this year however i'm very interested in where it's going next because i'm looking at a replacement for my macbook pro it's about six seven years old um I don't want a 13-inch because I'm going to do my photos on it. But that said, I find the 13-inch MacBook Pro, the new one, really exciting. Be- not because I want that one, but because of what's coming. It makes me very excited about what's coming. So that's my favourite thing. Not that I'm going to buy it, but because of what it's pointing to. Okay, I'll uh, I'll jump in here. Uh, my favourite is my new iPhone 12 Max Pro, and it's it's brilliant. It's uh, an update from my old 10 that I had. The quality of it is stunning. I it's a uh, it's a true blue Apple Mac product. The feel of it, the design of it, uh, the way it's made and built is just quality. Uh, the screen is brilliant to look at. Uh, I've started taking some some videos on it, which are very impressive photos again uh, a huge jump forward so yes i very i was a bit skeptical about going to such a, a large phone from the 10 the 10 always seemed to me to be the the perfect size and power but no no regrets whatsoever the, the size is not an issue uh for me personally uh and altogether it's it's a it's a well thought out and produced product uh very happy with it and my little wish list thing is I want to buy uh, a mini iPod um, for Christmas. I've got a couple of rooms that I think would benefit. We've got some HomePods scattered around the house, but uh, one in the kitchen and, and one in the, the little office here I think would go very well. So at the price point they've uh, launched at £99, I think it's a good buy. So more likely to treat myself to one of those uh, for Christmas. The products I was most interested in was the iPhone 12 mini um, because of three main reasons behind it. So the um, the size, it's a small phone and I liked small phones. Um, the fact that it's got straight edges rather than curved edges, which means it's easier to hold. And the fact that they've gone for not dumbing it down. They've made a phone which is a small in size but has all the good features minus two lenses on the small phone so you've got a good size screen good size sound um, or, or good quality sound I should say and uh, excellent camera photography on there and they've not cheapened out on it which is surprising because normally when you get the smaller phone you get the cheaper quality of stuff so I think that the, the 12 is a brilliant phone Although the phone that I went for when my SE stopped charging uh, or holding charge was the new SE 2020, because the way I looked at it was that as much as I love the iPhone 12 mini for 799, I can buy the uh, SE uh, second generation um, at 399, and I thought, or, or 
I paid slightly more because I went for the 128 version. So I paid 449. That's in pounds, by the way. Um, and I could then get the iPhone 11 camera and pretty much iPhone 11 quality screen and better quality sounds um, at a fraction of the price. And to me, it's uh, a very good phone. Um, and by putting it in the spidging case, I get the flat sides like I would off the iPhone 12. And I don't have any uh, problems there. The only minor annoyance I had with spidging case was it's slightly heavier. Um, and the only other minor annoyance is I'm old fashioned and I would love there to be a headphone jack. My favorite product of the year has to be the iPad Pro. So investing in one not long after they came out it's now been the item that I probably don't put down at any point of the day reason being for that is now it's became so much more of a versatile machine it's far more powerful than it ever was before and now some of the big software operators are providing software for it I could not live without Lightroom or Photoshop being available on there now and in particular procreate i heavily use that that's my pick of the year for sure and i'd happily buy another one would you say it rivals a, a macbook pro Ooh, that's a good question i would say for general use rather than some of the big heavy heavy apps that we use mm, good question if you'd asked me this last year i would have probably said no but now I would probably say you could happily live without a MacBook Pro. You could easily live off of an iPad only environment. And part of the decision behind that is that it has to be for the port, the USB-C port. Without that, it might have been a no in that regard. There are so many more things now. I don't think I own anything now that's the old USB connection. They're all USB-C ports especially in terms of transferring things off, hard drives, even down to the microphone that I've got here, you can connect straight into the MacBook or the iPad. You've got the choice of the two. Because I think I'm uh, similar to Tina. I've got a, a not as old, a MacBook Pro, uh, and next year I'm looking to upgrade. And I'm tender thinking, do I scrap the MacBook Pro, go for an iPad Pro, and then get a 27-inch uh, or an iMac Pro so I can do all my heavy lifting work on that and use the iPad Pro as my general day-to-day -day working machine when I'm out and about rather than I took the choice last last time I did this I went for the, the MacBook Pro and used that as my primary primary machine so I'm thinking that for the cost wise I could maybe look at uh, splitting it and having two having an iPad Pro uh, as my general use machine and then the iMac Pro as my heavy du duty work for Final Cut and stuff like that but that's a that's a decision for next year waiting for the to see what happens with it will they bring an, I, an iMac Pro out with an M1 chip I think a good combination would be an iPad Pro of some form and a Mac Mini that's all you'd ever need to be honest do you use the pencil much apart from drawing more than anything in particular or marking off photographs or if I'm sending notifications back to people in regards to editing, I'll circle and draw around things on that. And there's far more integration now because you can use the pencil in notes in particular or marking off 
Does anybody have their recommendation in regards to you buy a new Mac or an iPad and what would be the first third-party app that you would install and why? So I traditionally put iStat menu on all my Macs. Uh, you can't put it on iPads or iPhones because it's not currently supported since about six years ago. Um, and I use it because it comes in incredibly useful because if you ever wonder why your Mac is slowing down or is the file still downloading, what's your internet speed like, or you're running out of space, iStat menu comes in incredibly useful. So I find it very helpful because uh, you think, oh, my computer's slowing down, it needs more memory. And then you look at it and you go, well, actually, it's the SSD it's causing problems. Or uh, you want to see are you having internet issues you can see it check very quickly with iStat I think that is a brilliant little program and very helpful which I have on all my Macs um, I have another little extensions I put in different programs but that's probably one of the first I install um, I, I'm going to be greedy I have two instantly that I put on one is a launch bar which uh, is a, a bit like uh, Alfred it uh, helps you run your systems it has a, a multiple clipboard facility which i use extensively uh, for copy paste uh, and it's also uh, very makes opening programs files uh, images anything really quick so that's the first one and then the second one i would put on is a thing called text expander which as the name says it says on the, on the tin you type in a a short a short code and you can then replace that with a whole string of text anything from a couple of words to whole paragraphs that you might uh, be using especially in a technical document it's very handy that you can just type a a, a, a three letter string of word of, of, of uh, a three letter string and you will get all the words you need uh, typed out so they're my two go to straight away on any machine are uh, text expander and launch bar come the moment come the app so at the moment i have to sit around a lot um due to my operation so the thing that i'm loving at the moment is on my ipad splitboard because it aggregates it's, it goes and fetches um news articles that it thinks you're going to be interested in so you read an article so if you you know uh, my current obsession is the american um election presidential election so i have a lot of articles on that um, and really, it, really, <laughs> really. Um, <laughs> what I can't tell you about the electric college is all I'm saying. Um, um, but it, it learns what we like. So um, there, there are some things that are a little bit odd. That sometimes you start getting articles and you wonder where the hell that came from. You can you can pick different magazines so that you know that I have a photography section that I read things. Um, I have like a Mac section and depending on what I'm reading at the time it just finds lots of different things and because of that you sometimes see things that you wouldn't necessarily see it's very my only criticism of it though it's handy at the moment is that it's very um, American orientated so that's my only concern um, but it, it, it is interesting have you tried using Apple News I have the problem. I think I think with Apple News is that um, there are some. It, it, it uses things like you use a lot of British papers, and some of them are on behind paywalls. So then I get a bit irritated because I'm thinking I don't want to actually pay for this. 
Um, we can discuss the morality of that. But um, so I actually prefer Flipboard. Mm. And to be fair, that could be that I haven't given up on use enough um, attention. But like I said, a lot of the articles that I've seen tend to be behind paywalls. Yeah, the Telegraph is notorious for that and the Times. I did I did do the three months once with the Telegraph and some of their writing is it, 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 it is worth paying for, some of their, their, their editorial stuff and their, their articles are written very well. But yeah, the morality issue, uh, Tina, I don't really want to go there. Yeah, I, I I look for a lot of the free stuff. But of course, then that comes with, you know, if it's free, there's a reason for it. And you've got to be careful about what they're pushing and what they're promoting to get you to, get you to join in. So, And then there's, we all know there's so much clickbait out there to try and get you to these sites. So, yeah, it's a, a balanced view, hopefully, you get from all your different uh, uh, yeah, media. Isn't the saying if if you aren't paying for the product, you are the product? Yeah, yeah, very true. So very true. Free, they're getting something for it. So a classic would be Facebook. Um, I I understand why Facebook is not very happy to do with the Apple privacy thing because actually it's how they're going to make their money. Um, and the irony being is as an individual, I would pay for Facebook. Um, if it meant I had no adverts. So I, it, it, because it's handy for me to connect with people. Um, but I find the level of adverts now very, very irritating. So that might be something to be discussed at a later podcast. What's worth paying for? It's interesting. The reason I asked that is because Apple One includes the Apple News subscription. For the last month, I've been giving it a go, and I'm quite surprised at how many things have actually been added since it was launched. There's far more magazines on here. Daily magazines now appear, and you can go back four or five issues of a particular magazine, which you couldn't do before. Yeah, they've certainly worked hard in trying to get this to work. And to be honest, it's not like one type of magazine or one area. So if you just type in Apple or Mac, you get a variety of different Apple Mac magazines that come up. The one thing I would say which I install, which is not an app, but goes with what you've been mentioning, is I don't know about you, but I get really frustrated by adverts when I go to websites, uh, whether it be on my iPhone or whether it be on websites. So a classic example, if you go to the Daily Mail website, uh, you'll see there'll be tons of adverts on there and lots of tracking cookies and various other things. So I use a, a extension on Firefox and on Chrome called uBlock Origin. So that's U for uniform, and then block, and then origin. Uh, Put the link in the show notes. And that is brilliant because that blocks not only the adverts, but the malvertising, which is malicious advertising. And so I can surf the internet without A, tracking cookies, and B, I don't get to see most of these infuriating jumping up and down adverts which change color every four seconds and for the iphone i couldn't get uBlock origin so what i did is i found an app called one blocker x and i installed that and that gets around also those annoying notifications that you get in the eu which say please accept, uh, uh, accept cookies and accept our terms and conditions. And you can't see anything on the screen because it takes up the entire screen. 
before you can click and then you have to agree with it to accept or disable and go for all the different settings because they've identified you're not a, an American IP address and that does sh- shuts those down so you don't see them which is excellent and coming from a slightly more secure background I prefer not to see advertising because that can be converted into malvertising so I'd recommend that mine I have similar situation to Martin I'm going to choose two with this so firstly last pass would have to be the first thing that I install. Reason being is once you start loading in all of the apps that you're used to, you suddenly think to yourself, oh, what's the login for this? Or what's the password for this? So LastPass comes in there and highly recommended. You don't necessarily need to run it on an app either. It can run directly through the browser, which is really nice. And you've got far more management over your passwords. And my second suggestion is actually something that I've spent a lot of time with in the last few weeks and built into the OS, which is playing with Automator. Does anybody else use Automator quite a bit? I still got the incredibly helpful um, Sal Sagarion um, book, which Apple released called Apple Script 123, which Peach Pit made. And that's excellent if you want to teach yourself uh, Apple Script, which is what. Um, automator sits on top of and um, I would definitely agree also with LastPass is excellent I use it for storing serial numbers of products because I don't know about you but hunting for the serial number for a product and the characters are something like 250 characters long in alphanumeric letters is incredibly hard to type so I like storing it in LastPass this sounds like another podcast that Craig and AppleScript or Home Automation which I don't, I'm, I'm not going to even venture into at the moment. I've heard so many stories of Christmas tree lights being automated at the moment. Why? <laughs> uh, or or, or the, the other one I've heard of is that they've, um, when the Google outage went, the lights went off in their house, to which I said, why would you rig every single light in your house to Google? <laughs> it asks the obvious question. Um, I, I, I've heard of people who have rigged the lights to music. So when certain songs are played through their speaker, it would change the lighting in accordance. So it goes with the beats, which I thought was quite good. We got we got, we got of- competition here between all the different uh, trees where where I am, and who can have it more in more in sync or more out of sync with each other. I don't know if you've seen it. Have you seen someone's done a VR Christmas tree? So you can hold your iPhone 12 with the LiDAR sensor over it and it will display a different sequence of lights over the Christmas tree or spell out words with the Christmas lights that are only visible through the camera app on the phone. Someone's got far too much time on their hands, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) As we come to the end of our episode, I just want to say I hope that everybody had a good Christmas and we'll see you next time. Thank you, everyone, and uh, for listening. And it's been a uh, eventful 2020. And uh, hopefully we move into the um, 2021 with a different or think different attitude. Yeah, just uh, to to wish all our listeners, uh, I hope they've enjoyed the the Christmas, uh, whatever format that's taken. Uh, It's a a challenge for all of us that uh, this is a different Christmas from most of us have ever experienced. I hope it works for you. Good luck to you all. All the best to you and yours over this very strange 
Christmas 2020. Um, I hope you remain safe and that uh, 2021 is a much better year all round. Mm-hmm.